Hello and welcome to the African Tech Roundup, episode 50 for the week ending Monday, March 28th, 2016. Now this is where we round up the week's most important tech, digital and innovation news from across the African continent. Happy holidays fam, my name is Andy Lemasugu and joining me on the show is our content producer here on the African Tech Roundup, the reclusive phantom that is Peter Biele. How's it Peter? How you doing my good man? Chill my guy, nice to have you on the mic for the first time in 2016 man. Great to be here, man. Uh, Easter Monday. Shouldn't be grinding, but hey, I'm here. Hey, the work never stops. TIA, my brother. (laughs) This is Africa. I'm tuning you. So, in the off chance you're joining us for the first time this year, or maybe even for the first time ever, uh, do go ahead and catch up on all our past episodes at africantechroundup.com. Please do follow us on Twitter and Instagram for useful news updates and commentary. Our handle on both platforms is at African Roundup. On Facebook, you'll find us at facebook.com forward slash African Tech Roundup. But before we get on with the show, this episode of the African Tech Roundup is brought to you by Audible. Get a free audiobook download and a 30-day free trial at audibletrial.com forward slash African Tech with over 180,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, or MP3 player. Sign up and listen to a great book on big data called Big Data Appliances for In-Memory Computing, a real-world research guide for corporations to tame and wrangle their data by Dr. Ganapati Pulipaka. Just click through to audibletrial.com forward slash African Tech for your free audiobook. Now, first up, it's another step forward for e-commerce in Nigeria, what with uh, conga.com reintroducing same-day delivery. Now, it seems their new CEO, Shola Adekoya, is keen to impress with some gutsy strategic choices, Peter. I, I wouldn't really say it's new stuff, but um, yeah, I mean, they're reintroducing what they tried um, when they launched back in uh, 2012. It's not really um, a, a new thing. I think it's um, a case of trying out something that failed back then, uh, but this time at a much smaller scale and then um, growing from there. Most of the complications seem to be concentrated in that very last mile to the customer. And I think these are some of the, the, the issues that Congo wasn't able to overcome before. I wonder what they're doing different. Look, I think uh, it's a case of now they have much more customers to serve in Lagos. So they have like a bigger uh, base to, to experiment with. Because back then, uh, the thing is, they had challenges of not being able to serve those customers. But now it's a case of um, they've grown as a company and are able to service that market. And that market is huge enough for them to start trying out all these experiments. It's something that has failed before. And now they, they've learned their lessons and are uh, doing it in a more strategic way. It's no doubt a dollar and cents issue, like you say. Um, scale probably factoring in the number of people taking on or adopting you know, e-commerce as a, as a, as a serious option. Uh, yeah, well, big up to them and all the best to them. And of course, uh, good luck to their brand new CEO who has been at the, the helm for a long time uh, as the interim CEO now taking the reins properly. Um, yeah, so, so it remains to be seen whether um, they're going to succeed at this. It's obviously an innovation that the rest of the world is thinking, hey, that's no innovation. We've had this all the time. Yes, Amazon's done this for, for, for a while now elsewhere. But um, uh, like I said uh, earlier in our introduction, TIA. <laughs> so no mean feat, I'm sure. Yeah, definitely. Uh, look, Shola has been been there um, before even being the interim CEO. He was like CFO, COO, so he knows um, the whole uh, Conga growth and uh, uh, background. 
So, I mean, I, I think he's the best guy to, like, you know, introduce all these new uh, strategic choices, as you put it. I think Conga is, like, one of those... It's, it's like, a perfect example of what a startup should be doing in Africa. Um, these guys are experimenting. They're quick to go to market. They try out new things. That if something doesn't work, go back, try something new, you know. Um, like, in terms of experimentation or even uh, going to market... They, for instance, when they started, they were using um, an open source develop, uh, develop tool and then they eventually developed their own tools or platforms within, you know. I mean, that just, for me, that says, you know, guys, these guys have their heads in the right place. They know they have to get out there, try new stuff. You know, if th things break, you know, you, you just keep trying and, and, and hitting it. And that's why they're like rated, um, I mean, number one startup in Nigeria. Yeah, for sure. Keeping it lean and mean. I know you and Defo both love the whole lean startup philosophy and these guys certainly living that, uh, walking the talk. So well done to them and all the best with it. Now, staying with Nigeria, Uber launched in Abuja last week, offering riders six days worth of free rides uh, to help people acclimatize to their offering. Hmm. Oh, well, six days, but it's, uh, I think it's like five limited um, uh, rides. And obviously you can't ride out of <laughs> Abuja. In other words, you can't be planning to go visit your grandma in some other state. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, given that it's like Easter weekend, yeah. yeah. But um, look, big up to these guys. Look, this is this is a brave move, considering like if you look at like the reaction from a lot of uh, guys on Twitter, they're saying like, for instance, Uber is like charging one thousand five hundred naira for a ride that they usually pay like five hundred naira for, you know, with the existing um, uh, taxis. I'm, I'm even I'm giving you the dem the benefit of the doubt that they actually did their their market research and they know what they're doing. But yeah, I mean to compete with such prices, I don't know if they're gonna survive there. Secondly, um, you have is it e Easy Taxi? Uh, yeah, that's right, Easy Taxi. Yeah, I mean we've we've covered them uh, quite extensively on the show, but they apparently also didn't do so well in in Abuja. I mean it's a different market. It's not it's, it's not like uh, how the, how successful they've been uh, in Lagos. I'm thinking perhaps the value proposition with Uber, their commitment to delivering an overall great experience, you know, a decent car, with, you know, the aircon working in, in great condition, uh, courteous drivers, um, a rating process that makes sure that you're not like hopping into a cab with like a, a serial killer and that kind of thing. I suppose the question is, would I be willing to pay uh, what multiple of three of what I'd normally pay for that kind of comfort? A couple of guys were saying like um, now they can actually you know take a cab and wear their their white formal shirts because <laughs> most of them like take these these cabs and like the seat belt is dirty and whatnot and it leaves marks on their shirts you know but uh, again how big is that market of guys who make use of these Uber taxis and and are, are of that higher LSM or living st standard measure right and then another thing is uh, what what they picked up is that Uber makes sense for long distance trips like to the airport and not within the city or like short trips because of the traffic right yeah that too and and um the thing is how big is that market though i mean for that higher lsm or the type that will typically go to the airport like at least once a week you know how big is that market in in in, in uh, abj also i mean you have to wonder how attractive a proposition this is for uh drivers signing up with uber again you mentioned the volumes which is essentially what drives what would make it worthwhile for a driver to say not do things on their own and rely on the uber platform i suppose it all remains to be seen yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, what, 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 what did they, what did they say? The we they see what we they see, man. <laughs> we they observe. That's we they observe. We they observe. There we go. <laughs>
To Uganda next, where apparently three attempts to commit serious cyber theft at the Bank of Uganda have been thwarted over the last eight months or so. Yeah, 24 million US dollars at play here. Jeez. Yeah, it's quite a lot of money, man. But um, I mean, uh, I understand it was done over like different months. Um, This whole syndicate started in July last year, and then they tried again in December. Then there was also another transaction that went through in uh, January. And um, like all of these have, of course, been uh, reversed from the Bank of uh, Hong Kong. Do you know that actually happened to me with my local bank here in South Africa? Um, uh, not not nearly as large amounts as twenty four million US dollars. I can assure you. I'm thinking, yeah, this guy should be funding the whole podcast, man. Yeah, should be going VC. <laughs> no, so listen, no. What happened was, um, uh, again people posturing as suppliers of mine and using very legit sort of titles, you know, uh, DSTV and at times of the month where you'd expect payments like that to be coming off. Not that I'm a DSTV subscriber, which was actually how I caught them out because I'm not with DSTV. Anyway, but they did this, you know, they scattered their, their attacks, you know. It's not like they did, they try to take like 15,000 out of my account or anything. They take, you know, subtle amounts. Because according to some of these uh, reports, these individuals were posturing as suppliers to the ministries of defense, energy, and agriculture. Sure. There's a lot of uh, corruption in this. We can't really say there's like a third party that's doing the corruption. I think there were like these fictitious companies that were created internally by whoever is running this thing within Uganda because all of this was done on a very robust system, uh, this integrated financial management information system. This is like a system that uh, Ministry of Finances use for like transparency and monitoring purposes of all the financial activities that go on in government, right? Now, this system is robust to the point that we can't really suspect that there's a third party that is hacking into it and initiating these transactions. It has to be someone that was given permission or given the passwords to log into the system and run these transactions because there are, there are a lot of uh, points of failure along the path to getting these transactions up to the bank. There's a lot of people that have to approve all these transactions. So it has to be someone inside. It can't be someone in China that's running all these things. Interesting you mentioned that because when I had a problem, listen to me trying to be relatable here. <laughs> <laughs> hey, this guy's got money, right? Like, like, my, like my situation anyway compares to like the, the bank of you got. <laughs> yeah. But, no, but seriously, you know what happened? Um, the, the, the bank kind of made the admission that the only way I could have been attacked in that way is if someone on the inside had done it and they refunded me without any question. The only thing that I should have done that I didn't do is report it, even uh, you know, open a police case because otherwise there's no incentive on the bank side to investigate. Uh, in this case, at least you know, the story ends well uh, in that they, they managed to recover the funds. In the case of Kenya, who you know, I mean, stories have come out of Kenya where uh, similar losses have occurred through fraudulent transactions, something to the tune of 7.8 million US dollars that can't be accounted for. Uh, you know, they seem to be content to let that go. Talk about the Kenya case, the Auditor General, for instance, was saying he doesn't understand how this IFM MIS system works. And a lot of officials were, were saying they, they don't understand it. The issue is from a user's perspective. I, I believe in the system. I mean, it's, it's something that has been developed uh, since like the early 2000s and has been used in a number of countries, um, African countries that I know of. I know Lesotho is using it, Zambia is using it. But the flaws of the system come from the people who use it. If people are going to give out passwords, then obviously it's going to expose the, the system as being weak. In the Kenya case, people don't even know how to use the system. I'm talking about Auditor General here. 
Yeah, that's worrying. I suppose one has to wonder what the government is going to do to probe in, into how these things keep happening. I mean, three times in a row in his, like in like, what, eight months? Uh, I'd imagine that um, the situation is prime for investigation. Listen, for our last story, we go to South Africa where Netflix is feeling the heat, people. What with South Africa's Film and Publications Board, uh, the FPB, reportedly giving Netflix a two-week ultimatum to comply with its regulatory requirements? So a Kenyan blog breaks the story, Standard Digital, shout out. Uh, they reported that um, South Africa's FPB chief operating officer, Sipo Risipa, has uh, you know apparently signed a memorandum of understanding with his Kenyan counterpart in solidarity for Kenya's mission to regulate Netflix for the Kenyan market. Oh, looks like um, he's taking just as tough a stance on Netflix locally. Except people think, uh-uh, uh, at least critics of that move are accusing the FPB of functioning outside of their mandate. What do you think? Let's go back a bit. Um, to start with this, uh, who's the, you, you gave a shout-out to Standard Digital, right? Now, they're the only... Um, the media house that's actually said this happened, right? And uh, of course, in, in Africa, other media houses will follow and copy and paste, and you know the the whole story just just spreads like a wildfire. Then there's like another article that comes up from my broadband where the FPB is denying um, all of this. I mean, they're saying that there was nothing that was um, sent to Netflix, or they're actually in communication with Netflix, and all is going well, and they they're trying to find ways around um, regulation but it's not as extreme as the way they're claiming that uh, Sefiso uh, announced it in Kenya critics are really factoring in on whether you know what are they going to do with that money why are they trying to regulate the internet we haven't even approved uh, regulations that the FPB tried to shove down our throat last year uh, they should leave Netflix alone hey man I think I've, I've bashed uh, politicians enough today I'm... a shame man <laughs> well therefore tends to have uh, take a have a field day with the FPB whenever we talk about them he is not a fan at all these guys don't really know what they're talking about like i'm gonna i'm gonna put it like this we need young people to be involved in these um, key positions in government to influence policies and everything and all these bright ideas that comrade deployees come up with it's, it's interesting that sipo went and, and and announced this in kenya I'm, I'm i'm like now assuming that it's allegedly yeah so now in kenya for instance the fpb there couldn't come to an agreement with the ICT cabinet secretary, uh, Joe Mocheru, and he came out and said, look, what you guys are trying to do is unlawful because we don't have, first of all, the regulations in place or the legislation in, in place for you to run these um, regulations, right? He, he basically tried to explain why it doesn't make sense for you to like try to regulate an OTT like Netflix, like a video-on-demand service. These old guys are using methodologies or, or models that they understand from a broadcasting background whereby using a push technology to give content to people whereas netflix is a pool technology whereby people demand this service right so you can't apply the same type of regulations that you use on broadcasting uh, services let's say feb goes ahead and does this whole regulation story they want um netflix to basically rate their services according to local standards like south african standards right or even kenyan standards so now meaning every time netflix releases a movie or a series it has to be re-rated like let's say it was rated 16 in in, in the u.s and has to be re-rated in south africa again so that means there's a delay first of all of that series coming out or being released in south africa then secondly 
Netflix has to pay for the for the cost of re-rating all of that. Um, and that comes to a tune about of about like seven hundred fifty thousand or something. Is that rands? That's rands, though. Rands, sorry, yeah, yeah, rands. So that and that, and that basically means you've paid for something that you're not even sure that people are actually going to consume. Because remember, we're talking about pool technology and not push technology. So you're not going to you're not guaranteed to broadcast this this content, and you're paying for it to be rated. In the case of the traditional movie business, you at least guaranteed a certain amount of distribution through the through television, uh, uh, digital TV, uh, as well as the the theaters and so on. Yeah, exactly. Now, now with Netflix, let worst case scenario, but let's say something comes out and no one consumes it. Now you've paid like seven hundred fifty k to have it re rated and go through all this process for nothing. Sure, and then apply that to the eighteen thousand, thirty thousand, whatever eighty thousand type, depending which region you're in, of course. Uh, however many thousand titles you have in terms of series and movies, etc. Uh, I can see how Showmax is at an advantage here because of their presence in, on the continent as DSTV, where um, all their content already follows that process. Uh, and they also have other channels to distribute it, whereas uh, Netflix would rely solely on the internet play. Yes, definitely. Um, and this is where I think Sipo also mentioned it. I guess he was saying that they need to um basically put in place a team that will train the Netflix guys to um you know do go through all these uh, processes of of re-rating and basically having like a local operation. But again, he's he's not very clear on on how they want to do this. Yeah, this is uh, very strange indeed. But thanks for for unpacking that quite a bit. I, I didn't realize all the um, intricacies at play. I suppose the broader question regarding the the film and publications board, at least in South Africa, uh, and its counterparts across the continent, is what is their mandate in terms of law to regulate the internet, if at all? And, and indeed, uh, like you say, OTT services, whether it's video on demand or otherwise, these guys have a, um, a mandate to protect uh, consumers. For instance, protect against child pornography, solicitation of uh, child prostitutes and what. So their position is, is, is somehow justified, but they're going about it the wrong way. That's why I'm saying, look, we need young people to get in there and make these guys understand. Like simple things like you cannot regulate the Internet. You cannot now try to introduce islands within the Internet. Like as you're typing a, a URL, for instance, you try www world wide web and now you want to take the world wide web and introduce little islands in it where you can regulate and you can do that but these are mostly done by like oppressive um, uh, countries i mean if you look at your know, saudi arabia where uh, traffic has to go through like a central node for it to be uh, censored uh, before it's, it gets shared to uh, the rest of uh, the country you know, there's a lot of like Asian countries that are doing things like this. I don't know if this is what they want to be seen as. It's very backward and uh, oppressive. And perhaps, uh, sadly, possibly the future of how we consume the internet, at least on the continent, assuming you don't know how to acquire a VPN. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, hey, the VPN story, man. Um, it's it's very interesting, and that Netflix um, was trying to find ways of overcoming the net uh, vpn issue of guys using vpns to access netflix but now 
it probably works for them. I mean, if there's going to be now regulations within con- different countries, then VPN is probably best for them, yeah? Well, I think it's a sword that cuts them either way because, I mean, they don't make the revenue if if you access their services via VPN. And on this hand, they're be you know, with governments wanting to treat them like traditional broadcasters, they stand to basically eat into their margins a great deal. That said, perhaps their strategy of launching everywhere all at once and making big wins in the areas where they don't get the, the pushback is how they're going to make their, their money. Yeah, yeah, man. It's interesting that uh, I was listening to like one of the old podcasts that you did with uh, Justin Spratt and you actually had this discussion around... Uh, how the push technology and pull technology like broadcasting the, um, and, and, and like video on demand is going to create all this um, um, madness. I mean, uh, you know, all these uh, publications boards and governments are really like having a hard time, you know, trying to uh, regulate or um, find ways of milking or getting a piece of the pie. We, we still have a, a long way to go. Interesting times ahead. For sure. And I mean, I'm thinking even of the content producing side where you've got the, the massive content industry, whether it, we're talking film here, uh, audio, um, you know, in the, in the traditional space, all trying to figure out music, even all trying to figure out how they're going to make money in these, you know, in these changing times. I didn't announce that we would launch into our discussion, but we did plan to unpack uh, the uh, Netflix story a little bit. What do you think, though, listening to us today? Uh, do you think governments uh, on the continent should be looking for ways to regulate Netflix and, and um, uh, basically tax the model that they're so efficiently uh, applying to deliver entertainment to our desktops and mobile devices like never before? Or should they be left alone? Is it fair game? And then what do you think? Does Netflix deserve the treatment it's getting given they're trying to, to make as much money as possible by clamping down on VPN usage and and do you trust our governments to come up with the correct policies to regulate the internet and indeed collect what's likely to be huge sums of money uh, in the aid of protecting us from the evils of the internet? Tell us what you think. Drop us a line on Twitter at African Roundup or just email us. Our email address is hello at africantechroundup.com. We'd love to hear from you. Otherwise, once again, today's episode of the African Tech Roundup is brought to you by Audible. They're offering a free audiobook download with a free 30-day trial to give you the opportunity to check out their service. Now, this week, we're recommending a book called Big Data Appliances for In-Memory Computing, a real-world research guide for corporations to tame and wrangle their data. This is a book by Dr. Ganapati Pulipaka. This book is a scientific expedition to research and explore enterprise-grade big data appliances and learn how they discover, visualize, predict and action the patterns and trends of the world's unprecedented piles of big data. Now that sounds good to you. Get Dr. Bully Parker's insightful book or any other audiobook of your choice for free right now at audibletrial.com forward slash African Tech. That's audibletrial.com forward slash African Tech. Otherwise, that's the week's show. Be sure to listen in again next week. The next episode drops at 9 a.m. Central African time on africantechroundup.com. In the meantime, though, as promised, we've started publishing some interesting conversations we had at Nest VC's What's Next FinTech event, uh, starting with conversations I had with MFS Africa CEO Dare Okuju and, of course, the founder of FinTech Startup on the Rise, creditable Sichabangwenya. You can find them on our SoundCloud account at soundcloud.com for 
slash African Geek Roundup or just check our recent posts on Twitter and on Facebook. And so it's cheers from me, Andy Masugo. And me, Peter Bella. Enjoy the holidays, folks. Peace out. Peace. And apologies for the fluey voice, yeah? Ah, oh, shame. You get better, man. <laughs>